My name is Elle, and I'm a transgender woman talking about going home. I uh, am publishing uh, this week's episode one day late because I was on a trip, and I had the chance to go back to my hometown where I grew up, uh, not where I currently live and not where I call home anymore, and yet when you come from a place, it's hard for it to not always be home even if it doesn't always feel like home. Um, so I spent uh, the last several days um, visiting that place and um, uh, seeing old people, um, people that uh, I've known for many years. Some of them I'm still very close to. Some of them I'm not as close, but we have a great long history with one another. And um, so that's why I'm late. And if my voice sounds a little funny, um, I know that, you know, part of my motivation in putting these episodes out is to practice the voice that I want to use and and in a literal and in a spiritual sense. Um, So I've been talking all weekend with people and it's been wonderful, but like my voice is starting to cry and... (laughs) And to say, please stop using me, L. Um, in any case, <clears throat> I went home, and um, I have some thoughts about that. Um, you know, I know that queer people and trans people have different relationships with the place that they grew up in. And um, for me, I grew up in a rural town in Washington State. Um, there's a four or five hour drive from each of Portland and Seattle. Those were the closest cities. Um, we were very isolated in a lot of ways. Um, it took us some effort and some money to even get, you know, to Costco, which was an hour drive, um, or really to any shopping. Um, you know, when I went through uh, a number of different medical treatments in my life, I was driving to Spokane, which was a three-hour drive. And so, you know, part of that is really, really beautiful because it's it, it <clears throat> almost like creates a sense of community just because of the structure of it. People are kind of locked in and they stay there. And, um, you know, even if there's students there for the year, I worked on a college campus and... Um, you know, even if there's students there for the year, frequently they wouldn't even leave town on the weekends. They would just stick around and hang out and plan activities and do stuff. Um, and uh, yet at the same time, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that that there was, uh, you know, intimate, healthy community. You know, that was still something that had to be built and chosen and created. And, you know, for me as a trans person, um, there's many ways in which being in that environment kept me closeted. You know, I, I had heard for years and years all kinds of different people's opinions and thoughts uh, about queer people. I had seen um, uh, other LGBTQ people be harmed by different reactions of people in the community. Um, and, um, you know, and as a religious person, uh, my my little sub community was even smaller than the city itself, and so 
it in that sense it even was more isolating where i was a part of a religious community um which you know at least officially taught that you know being transgender or being gay or lesbian was was not okay and a lot of the people that were part of my church uh, believed that or still do believe that and so you know hiding became a way of life and the town itself became almost like a not a symbol of being in the closet but kind of and i've said frequently that you know i needed to move away i needed to go to california uh in order to be able to transition and um you know part of what i mean by that is that um while i was living in my hometown, I really wasn't afforded um, uh, the ability to have anonymity to explore freely. Um, You know, or at least I felt like I needed anonymity to explore freely because the consequences for even exploring in the the religious community that I was within uh, were really, really great. And, um, and so when we, um, when, when I took the job in California and moved to California, you know, at that point, I, I think that I, my perspective on my sense of identity was that, yeah, I'm probably trans, but I can be content. And, um, you know, and also those sort of experiences of, um, and I'm going to talk about this on another episode, the idea of your egg cracking, which is an experience a lot of trans people have, but um, sort of the the gradual coming clear of my sense of identity, it comes in waves. And for someone that is, is living in an environment like my hometown or in a context where there will be great consequences for coming out and transitioning, um, you know, the the deck is stacked to come up with rationalizations for these different experiences. And so, you know, I would think about, oh, like, uh, okay, for like the last two months, I've been praying that I would wake up a girl. Um, and like, you know, uh, and then I would rationalize that away somehow. Or I would think about how I like to wear dresses, even though I didn't even have any dresses, but on occasion, I would try them on at a store or something if I was on a trip or whatever. Um, or I'd try my wife's on when she was gone or you know, that kind of thing. And I would rationalize in a way, or, um, you know, I would um, have dreams about being a girl, like whatever, like in isolation, all those things were easily rationalized away. And especially in that context, but then, um, you know, I moved to California and I started to look at all of the different aspects uh, of my gender and gender identity and what led me to know who I am. I started to look at those more collectively um, all together. And I also started to look at them, well, and, and that the weight of those was hard to ignore. And then once I was able to tell my wife about what I was going through and my fears that I might be transgender, I wasn't, you know, totally convinced or totally sure at that point, but I was definitely thinking about it and questioning it. You know, once I went through that process <clears throat> and was able to find the freedom to, um, explore a little bit uh, in the safety of anonymity. So I was able to go to Palm Springs um, on my days off 
and which is only a 45 minute drive and just, you know, do work and hang out at coffee shops and, you know, not do anything, but just to be L in public, um, you know, that wasn't possible in my hometown. And so, you know, I, I don't resent that about being in my hometown. Um, but it's, it would be, it would be a lie to say that there was no impact of being there and that being, and that moving to California, moving to this new place, moving to where there were lots of queer people, moving to where, um, you know, people know, know other trans people in their lives and where we could create community, like all of that has been really integral to our current life and also to um, success and transition and so on. And so when I went home for the first time, I was thinking about all of these things. I'd never been to my hometown as me before. Uh, this was the first time. I, we only moved like, you know, four years ago or something. And I've only been transitioning now for, uh, you know, I guess a couple of years, if you include all of the times of processing and, and you know, sort of figuring out who I am. And so it hasn't been very long. And, and all of these thoughts came up of like, you know, this is an environment that is unsafe. This is sort of my internal dialogue. This is an environment that's not okay. This is an environment that kept me in the closet. This is an environment that I resent. This is an environment that I'm afraid of. Um, and so in the weeks leading up to going there, um, I had a lot of fears. I had a lot of, I was having nightmares. I was having all these dreams about running into people who have been hostile to me um, online, uh, hostile to me over email or text or social media or whatever. And so I was having all of these, you know, nightmares, daymares, um, <clears throat> just, uh, I, I was really scared about what it was going to be like, because I think, in part, because there were people there who, or there are people there who, um, you know, emotionally are dangerous for me. Um, but also because of this sort of overlay that, that, uh, you know, fairly or unfairly, this place represents, um, the pressure to stay in the closet. Um, and so I started planning a couple of weeks ago with my therapist and, um, you know, talking with some of my uh, new uh, queer family or queer siblings or whatever you want to call them about the, the wisdom of the queer community and their lived experience about the process of going back to your hometown. So I got lots of great advice. Um, I, and so when I went, I had come to the place where I felt a lot more confidence. And I mean, in general, this has grown a lot over the years, but over the last couple of years, but I felt a lot more confidence about drawing really firm boundaries. There are certain people who I had, I knew that if I saw them, I would, I would walk the other way or I would cross the street or I would leave the restaurant or I'd leave the room. And that was my plan that I'd made. And so even when I was hanging out with different people, I, a lot of them, I let know, Hey, if we see so-and-so person here, I'm going to leave. And this is why. And I, I just want, you know, I hope that you can support me in that. And in the end, that didn't need to happen, but, but I, I made a, a plan, you know, I, I talked through with my therapist about, you know, giving myself grace about having options or about uh, doing, you know, sort of 
I, one of the things she said is, is whatever you do is right. Whatever feels right in the moment when interacting with people in a stressful situation, it's right for you. And don't try to be perfect this time. Uh, little miss perfectionist, which is um, kind of, kind of my deal. Um, and that was really helpful. I made a proactive plan of the people that I really wanted to see. And I was able to see a lot of them. Sadly, I wasn't able to see all of them. If you're one of those people and you're listening, I'm so sorry. I tried so hard. I'm so tired. I saw people back to back to back and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't work it all in, in, in the time that I've been given. But but I did schedule out my days as much as I could. I didn't have a lot of downtime. And I certainly wasn't just, you know, going shopping or randomly wandering around the city. I, when I was out in public, I was either in my car or I was with someone that I trusted and loved. And that gave me a lot of confidence for dealing with that situation. And, you know, listen, I, I mean, if you're trans and, and you're listening to this, like this is some of my advice that I'm passing on to you now. Um, one of my, one of my queer friends said, have an escape plan, you know, make sure you have an escape plan. Do you have your own car? Do you have your own place to stay in? Are you going to be trapped in certain situations? Make sure that you can flee if you feel like you need to flee. And that was great advice. Um, um, uh, make sure you have support people who, who is available for you to call, who are available for you to go with. And, and of course, like I said, I, I, when I went out to lunch or dinner or whatever with people in town, I was going out um, with people I knew who were supportive, but also a number of people in my life, including my wife, of course, um, had said, like, look, I am here to support you. I am with you. Um, I am um, like, you can call me. I, I'm here for you. Like, if you need a text, if you need a chat, whatever, call and that was a big deal. Um, so I did, because my anxiety level about going home was high, I did a lot of planning. I remember flying in that day. I flew in last Friday and I was on the plane and seeing the landscape that was so familiar. And I put on some songs. I listened to a couple. I have a Spotify playlist that um, is sort of my pick-me-up album. Maybe I'll maybe I'll give a link to that. It's a public playlist. I'll, pu- I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um But I listened to some of those songs and kind of, you know, took courage. I was breathing deeply. I was really anxious. And I, I, my grandmother, my 80 some year old grandmother picked me up from the airport. I know how old she is. I'm just trying to keep her anonymity. Um, And, you know, she called me by my name a lot of the time during the visit and used the correct pronouns at least some of the time. And, um, and it was really good. Um, she was kind and that was the beginning of it. Everyone was kind all the way through. Um, you know, with, the um, with that being said about the fear, I also had excitement. You know, I was going so that I could officiate a queer wedding and, I was so excited about sharing what I had to say in that officiating and sharing it with the couple that I I was able to share that moment with. And it was beautiful. It was perfect. It was like exactly what I was hoping it would be. And I think that they feel similarly. I think the couple was happy with it. 
Um, and so I was super excited to do that. I was super, super excited to dress up in a super fancy dress and cute shoes and, um, you know, get all fancy, uh, for an event like, and they had a little meal afterwards and I was excited to do that, you know, for my whole life. Like I went to proms and stuff like that, but I went as a man and I wore a big tux and a, you know, with a outfit, like, and I never loved it. I wanted to be in that beautiful ball gown and, and I didn't know how to tell anyone that. And I didn't know how to tell myself that in some ways. And so that was super fun. I was excited about uh, you know, seeing the people that I got to see. And I was excited about seeing some of the people that sadly I wasn't able to see. And I think part of my excitement was to be seen as myself. And that might seem strange, um, but I spent so many years like hiding such a big part of myself from these people who knew me. And I, I just wanted to be in their presence. And I wanted to see me, I wanted them to see me. And like, you know, some of my friends in that town, when I came out to them, they were distressed, not in like a transphobic way necessarily, but in like a, it just was out of the blue. Like I joked with some of my friends while I was there that, that I've always been like an overachiever. And even with being in the closet, I was an overachiever and they nodded and laughed. And because I really, really tried hard to keep it under wraps. And, um, and so there was a part of me that felt exciting, that felt excited about um, being in their presence just as me and like sort of starting off this next phase of our friendships and relationships on maybe a little bit more equal footing. Um, and that felt so good. Um, in the end, the trip was beautiful. I'm so grateful for it. If you're listening and you uh, saw me on that trip. Um, it was, um, it was a total gift to be with you. So thank you. And, um, you know, one of the things that happened frequently that I wasn't totally expecting to happen, but that I welcomed when it did, and it felt right when it did, was that a number of people I, um, offered apologies to, or I followed up with. Um, and not that uh, I didn't apologize about being trans and I didn't apologize about like, you know, uh, me coming out or anything like that. It wasn't, it wasn't like that. It was more like I apologized to a couple of people for the ways in which I was afraid that I might've been a really terrible so-called ally. You know, when I was a pastor, uh, queer people didn't want to be around me for the most part. And I, I don't, um, I understand that and I don't resent that. Um, I was a representative of a um, oppressive organization whose, uh, some of whose values are really wrong. And, um, and while I didn't agree with those values, I also needed to walk the walk and talk the talk in order to stay active as a uh, leader within it, which is what I was dedicated to. And so, um, 
you know, I, I think that by the time I left that city, I was known as an ally. Um, but I, I, I carry a lot of guilt even to this day about not putting myself on the line, not putting my career on the line, uh, for queer people. And I feel complicity in the harm that the church caused during those years, uh, specifically, and even some in general. And so some of what happened on this trip was that I asked for, I apologized and, um, and I, I didn't ask for forgiveness, but I did apologize. And I, and I tried to own up to what I had done and, um, and that felt good. Um, you know, it didn't feel like many of many folks were really carrying a lot of stuff against me, um, about that. Um, but maybe, maybe I'll hear more about it later, or maybe they really weren't carrying anything at all. Um, but that's something that happened that was interesting. I had a lot of interesting questions from people that, um, I didn't really expect. Not, not disrespectful and not cruel. Um, but, you know, I, I, quite a few questions from people who sort of were, it almost seemed like they assumed that I no longer had faith. See, I'm, I'm a girl of faith and, um, my faith certainly has, has shifted some even since coming out, but it, most of the deconstruction had happened years and years ago. Um, and my faith is about as open as you could probably imagine or even more. And I'm very, very progressive and, um, very non-exclusive and uh, I you know never was good at proselytism because I never really fully believed that you know my way was the only way or even was the best way it just is the right way for some people at the at certain times and um, and that you know you don't like necessarily convince a lot of people to join that way um, so, I had a lot of people who had this assumption that like, well, since I'm now LGBTQ, which I was before, but whatever, um, that I no longer have faith. And so, you know, I, we had a lot of, I had a number of conversations about that with people, number of conversations sort of explaining, no, you can still be a person of faith and, um, and be queer. It's not mutually exclusive. And I kind of shared some of the ways that I understand that for myself. Um, a lot of the conversations that I had people, um, you know, we picked up where we had left off. A lot of them were with people who themselves had been through a huge change or a huge transition. Um, and so as a whole, it was just rich. It was good. I can see myself visiting back there again. And, and for now, I am home. This is my home. And this is my kids' home. And we're making uh, we're making a life for ourselves here in California. And that feels safe and beautiful and good. Um, you know, one of the one piece of uh, the vows that I shared uh, to the girls that I married, or the girls that I officiated their mar- their wedding. They got married. I didn't marry them, but you get what I'm saying. Um, I, uh, 
part of my little speech with them was about Ruth and Naomi. These are two women from the Bible, from the book of Ruth. Um, And Ruth is one of only two books in the Bible that are named after women. And um, it's a famous story. And um, in it is this vow speech that Ruth makes to Naomi. And in it, she says, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. And, you know, nothing, let nothing take us apart, you know. And and so in my little talk at the wedding, I, I, I commented on this passage, on this vow, and made the observation that that home is where love is. Home, in, in the words of the famous uh, at least to me, uh, bluegrass song, home is where the heart is. And for me, home is where Paige is. Home is where my boys are. Home, home is here. That's our, uh, episode for this week. Um, I'll talk to you again uh, in six days. Uh, Next Monday morning, we'll have another episode out. Um, But thanks for listening. And I would love to hear your stories about going home. Send them to the email that are in in the show notes. I'd love to hear your stories about going home, your wisdom about going home. And I hope more more than anything that, that you have home. And that, or, or that you find the home that you need. My name is Elle, and I'm a transgender woman talking.